everyone, welcome to the 453rd episode of Constructor Criticism. I am your host, Mason, and I'm joined by my co-host, Abe Stein. Abe, how you doing? I am doing all right, considering the fact that I've had a cough for six days now. That is rough. I'm sorry to hear that. But I'll tell you what's not a cough, how good this set is. That, you know, not my best uh, segue I've ever had, but not my worst. Poof. Silence. Hurts. I understand. But... Spencer is gone today. Spencer is under the weather. But we are going to do our set review today for March of the Machine. Uh, the newest set is out already. Uh, we are going to have to do another one of these pretty soon for March of the Machine Aftermath. But we'll get there in about a month's time. Uh, we are going to do our classic pick two set review. And I'm going to sort of talk about those uh, categories right now. There's no always improving this week on the show. Because uh, honestly, the set reviews can take a long time. Even with it just being Abe and I right now. And we just want to be able to get through this and have a lot of time to talk about the cards with y'all. And so we'll get back to always improving and Patreon questions and stuff like that next week. But thank you, everyone, who's a patron of the show. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash gcmpg. The show will always be free. But if you feel like you want to give back a little, it's greatly appreciated. So the way we do set reviews here at Constructor Chrism is we have uh, four categories that we each pick two cards to talk about in. This is going to be very similar, actually, to a top ten list. But... We just have a different context for the card. So instead of saying like our number 10 card is, you know, Urbrask or whatever, and you have to figure out like how strong is Urbrask and read between the lines, we have categories that sort of lay them out for you and sort of give you an idea of what we're thinking about with the cards and also let's just have a little bit more fun with it. So you're going to have a whole wide range of cards to talk about today. And Abe, I'll kick things off first with sort of a, a what we're used to playing with that I think is pretty cool. Uh, and this is in our slipper category. So our slippers are cards that we think people aren't really quite respecting enough and these are cards that could be a real player in some way and just haven't got a lot to talk about yet so wrench resolve is my first pick for this it is one in a red for a sorcery you exile the top two cards of your library until the end of the next turn you play those cards so we've seen this card before it's a functional reprint of a reckless impulse which does the exact same thing the reason i like wrench resolve so much Abe, is we sort of have that classic rule of eight where you know if you have eight of an effect it really allows you to sort of play with it and play um, strategies that you can lean on these sort of cards. So something like a storm deck could really use this really well as like a, a red-based storm deck if it had some sort of like Goblin Electromancer type thing. If for some reason that's this thing you want to do like maybe in Pioneer. Urbrask is my other card we'll talk about later in a second that will work pretty well with this. So basically having eight of this card I think opens up the door to have a lot of red card uh, advantage and sort of a short time frame. But if you're killing your opponent in that short time frame, I think it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, I played a lot of uh, Red Prowess early on in, like, Pioneer kind of taking off around the RC announcement. And, like, you still had eight of that kind of effect between mm -hmm. Light Up the Stage and Reckless Impulse. But there is something really, really just, like, more, almost more powerful about having access to that effect on your terms for less mana compared to, like, Light Up the Stage, where I feel like most people kind of feel like, oh, we already have a lot of this... Um, in the formats where you really want it but uh, i definitely see a lot of potential for you know kind of getting to play a little bit more of a main phase one game with your card advantage which is like even better when you're really heavily red based um because you often want to like have haste creatures or you know clear things out of the way in combat to then like use the rest of your mana um like like well as well so um yeah, I think it'll be really, really interesting to see how much the 5th to 8th copy of Reckless Impulse adds to things. Um, and, and even, you know, the 
what, ninth to twelfth copy, if you mm-hmm. also count Light Up the Stage as being a card you're interested in. Um, oh, that might be a little, a little bit too much, a little bit too much candy. Yeah, can't have that much chocolate. But, but maybe there's a deck that eventually could. Like, we're, I'm going to talk about Arabrask here, and this card sort of works with my last one, so I'm just going to mention it to have the conversation flow because I think it sort of matters specifically with Light Up the Stage. So Arabrask is a uh, two red red uh, legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor four four. It has first strike. It has whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Herbrass deals one damage to target opponent and then add a red mana. So just going forward, you know, like for Light of the Stage, this sort of triggers that. It's a pinger. This is like the thing you could do to maybe win the game uh, with all the draw effects. It has more text to it, but I wanted to highlight that. That was sort of where I was thinking of it with Rin's Resolve, maybe something in Pioneer. We've seen sort of Runaway Steamkin, uh, Ignatius Noble decks, which, uh, you know, abuse Steamkin and that and making a bunch of mana and going infinite. So... Uh, Urbrass is another kind of unique way to do that. Sort of a Berkey, but does damage instead of having a card advantage mode on the back. But this does have a backside. So Urbrass has the ability of red, exile Urbrask, then return to the battlefield, transformed under its owner's control, activate only as a sorcery, and if you've cast three or more instant with sorceries this turn, then the backside of Urbrask is a saga, which is how all the Praetors are in this set. Uh, chapter one is this deals three damage to target opponent and each creature they control. So sort of a mini wrath, pretty good there. And sort of, you know, if you've cast three spells, you hit them for three, hit them for another three. Chapter two is create three treasure tokens. Uh, and chapter three is until end of turn, you may cast instant and sorcery spells from any graveyard. If a spell cast this way, would be put into a graveyard exile instead. Uh, and then transform this face up. So it's chapter three lets you pass in flames from both graveyards. And then now you're back to the front side where whenever you cast something, you ping somebody. So Urbrass to me sort of looks like this storm kind of payoff card for Pioneer. I think it's a little bit too expensive for modern, but it does have some neat applications there. But in Pioneer, you can build a deck where maybe you're casting a bunch of Ren Resolve and Reckless Impulses and just sort of going off and, you know, you have Runaway Steam Kin and things like that. And, you know, there might be some other, other weirder shenanigans that you could do with this that I haven't quite thought of. Uh, and while the backside is sort of expensive, you sort of get that for free. So if you just sort of draw a bunch of cards and you've got some mana floating, you're like, oh, well, I think I'll just transform this now, wrath your board, and then rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's funny because Urbrask itself is kind of, uh, like, it is just a little bit costly to be played in modern, but the amount of things that this really, like, goes off with out of that card pool, like, you play an Urbrask and you, like, cast a strike at rich and then a lava dart and then you're there right mm-hmm. like it's very very easy when you look at the restriction of you need to cast three spells to get to the backside which is like such a huge payoff um mm-hmm. for the card that it can it's like oh well it, like is it actually possible when you really like look at it it's not that difficult to cast three spells if you're building your deck to do it and in the same way that reckless impulse and um Ren's resolve kind of add that redundancy adding another like up the curve way to kind of have the burgy or steamkin style effect is really impactful as well. And the fact that this also, unlike burgy, which is just the mana engine, is both kind of your mana engine and your kill condition, um, you know, your mana engine and your way that you're closing the game. Like that saga is just very powerful. Um, is is really really potent. I think that card is. <laughs> people have said it's like one of the worst of like the cycle and. I would have a hard time saying that it really is. I think it's like one of the the harder to evaluate cards because it's hard to tell how easy it'll be to cast the three spells in a turn. But if you're ever doing it, it just seems so 
so powerful and at the right cost too to be to be something you could even play in, in a competitive format yeah i agree i i think it is really interesting to me to see how players are like oh this is one of the worst praetors when it's just the one that is the most like the way to put the most work into to figure out right you kind of have to figure it out and then like I don't know. I don't want to sit on this forever, so I'll move on. I will just say that, like, the same way I said having eight uh, reckless impulse effects sort of matters, having eight Bergy type effects matters as well. And a lot of people have tried to build Bergy decks, and they just haven't worked. And so, you know, what might happen if we have eight of those effects? We're going to get to see that now. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah. What about uh, your first sleeper? It's funny that I think we both love the red card in the set, because my first <laughs> sleeper is uh, Nahiri's Warcrafting, which is. Uh, one red red for a sorcery that deals five damage to a creature, planeswalker, or battle. And then you look at the top X cards your library, where X is the excess damage dealt this way. You can exile one of those cards, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order, and you can play the exile card this turn. So, I think that this card, even just as an answer to, like, a resolved Shieldred in standard, or, you know, just being, like, a good answer in red to a lot of the problematic cards that, like, were on top of mind for people in this last standard format seems really, really good at face. The fact you're also going to get the opportunity to like draw a card in the longer grindier games. Like if let's say you're playing the monorail deck in this format and you're sideboarding into an answer to go uh, into like a more mid range game plan with cough. Now, not only do you have a way to make sure you have more answers to the cards that really matter in the matchup, the, the big mid rangey threats like Shieldred, but also if you ever need to cash something in and kind of like press your advantage a little bit, Nahiri's Warcrafting does that really really well the ability to be like i'll kill your you know blood tithe harvester or fable the mirror breaker and look at the top three and get another spell is a good way to keep up as an answer um on top of just being one of the best ways to probably clear a battle on its own which is just a good way to to get a little bit of card advantage out of your removal spells where that matters that's something your deck is doing um as well as just being a really really solid role-playing removal spell i don't know if you have any additional thoughts on it mason but i just thought this card like i didn't see anyone talk about it at all um, during preview season, and I think that it just slots right into a lot of decks. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said there. I think just having something that, like like you mentioned, like in standard, just having a card that cleanly answers Shieldred and sometimes draws you a card seems really great, especially in long, drawn-out games. I really like having access to this card. Like, basically some red decks would play Roast uh, and like Pioneer, for example, in order to answer Shieldred, and Red and uh, Pioneer hasn't been super good as a mono thing, but having this, it's like, okay, in the later game, you know, maybe you answer the Shieldred and get something else, or in the early game, you know, you can kill it, uh, or kill something, and then, you know, just move on with your day and be fine with just having the removal spell. So I, I really like this card. Uh, I also thought it was kind of weird that no one was talking about it, and I was like, really, it felt like a card that uh, I thought Spencer was going to pick it. So I, I thought we were going to miss it, but here you are bringing it up, so I'm so glad. Uh, but yeah, I like this card a lot. I think it's really good. Yeah, um, so the other the other sleeper I have for the set is Into the Fire, which is a two and a red sorcery, which has choose one. Into the Fire deals two damage to each creature, planeswalker, in battle. Or put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library, then draw that many cards plus one. So uh, this card isn't like breaking any records or anything, but the kind of versatility it has, especially when there are decks like, you know, uh, creativity in Pioneer right now, or um, just decks that in general are kind of really trying to stretch the way that they're answering the format and need answers to, to like wide varieties of things. A card that allows you to be like 
answering something like a wedding announcement out of uh, like Monoway, right? Like there's a lot of games where you'll play against Monoway where that isn't really what the game's about, but it is about finding the right things. So now you have a card that you can put into your deck that is going to be good at kind of clearing the board and um, and like keeping things like tokens under control if that's something you need, as well as being like of versatile value and like keeping your hand moving in the matches where it matters. So I think that this is like really, really a potent combination of two individual like kinds of cards that are often pretty situational. Um, but the way they work together because of how powerful the, the first effect is, the two damage each creature Planeswalker in battle is, as just an effect, like, that is so situational, and when it's good, it's so good, that when you're able to give it a high floor of, you know, cycle itself, or cycle itself plus another card in your hand, um, or, you know, maybe you can get rid of your whole hand if you just don't have, you know, anything that really matters in it, uh, that's just really, really strong. And I think that those effects together have a lot of room to play in um, not just in standard, but also in like pioneer, or <laughs> probably not modern, but uh, just at the rate. But I, I think that like this ability is really, really strong together. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's something where it's kind of like I don't really want to spend three mana on the hand mode. I don't really want to spend three mana on the two damage mode. But if you put them together, I'm pretty interested in that. And I've seen Valakut Awakening do good work, and that has the bio clause of being a tap land, which isn't you know it's not weak by any means. Uh, so. It's really interesting with this card. I think, like you said, I imagine it can pretty easily slot into creativity. I know some players have been pretty unhappy with Valakut's Awakening in that deck, and this being a Sorcerer can pair to an instant is something. But, you know, just getting to wrath the board immediately uh, against, like, go-wide decks is, I think, very important uh, in the format. So I think I like this card a good bit, and it's one that I also haven't seen anyone really talk about, and it's really surprising. So... That being said, let's move on to our next category. Uh, this is the hopefuls. So these are cards that we kind of we sort of like. We're hoping that they do sort of well, and we're not exactly sure if these are going to hit in the same way you might expect something like you know um, like a really strong kill spell or something like that to do. And we're just it might need a little bit of work, but we're kind of hoping it works out there. So my first hopeful is Blood Feather Phoenix. This is one red for a creature Phoenix with. Sorry, Creature Phoenix 2-2. Uh, it has flying. This creature can't block. And whenever an instant or sorcery spell you control deals damage to an opponent or battle, you may pay red. If you do return Bloodfeather Phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield, it gains haste until end of turn. Uh, we kind of mentioned earlier that like Pioneer Mono Red decks haven't really succeeded. They've been sort of kept at bay, like Shieldred, Graveyard Trespasser, a bunch of removal spells, a bunch of decks that play to the board. It's been really hard. This sort of card interests me in that department. Because I can imagine, you know, having this and being like, okay, well, you stomp it or whatever. And then later, you know, I play with fire you and bring this back and hit you for two again. And so I sort of like this card. I'm also looking for ways to sort of abuse it in other formats where like, oh, is there a way I can like loot this away for value and then spend a red to bring it back? I'm, I'm kind of interested in doing that sort of thing. So uh, Bloodfeather Phoenix is a card that jumps out to me as being pretty cool uh, and something that I would like to see sort of make it into a home. Yeah, I mean, I'm really glad that you picked this card because... If you hadn't, I was absolutely going to. Cards like this that just, like, have the ability to recur are so, so powerful, especially when just at their rate, they're good. Like, a 2-mana two 2-2 two -two flyer isn't necessarily the strongest thing, but when it has the ability to recur, when it is that persistent, like, source of damage, and if you ever find a way to maybe, like, you know, 
cast a faithless looting or some kind of you know rummage or loot effect to then get a little bit more out of your your burn spells that is just such a strong effect to have access to that you know like even cards like chandra's phoenix which are more expensive to use and to bring back and albeit they have haste so they're a little bit um like that card is a little bit different but just that play pattern of okay well i'm gonna like make the game about this thing for a bit and then you're gonna have to answer it and then i'm gonna get it back and it's gonna keep on putting this pressure on you is such a strong play pattern for the right kind of decks in the right kind of formats that any way that you're turning that you know if it turns out to be a 2-2 with haste from your graveyard that draws a card that is so so powerful that all the times that maybe it's just a two mana 2-2 attacker in the air for a while um is all evened out so i think this card's really great and uh i'm also also one of my hopefuls if it wasn't nice i'm curious to hear what you think about this card abe it's invasion of ergamon uh, it's red and a green for a battle, our first battle, and has five defense. So once you've done five damage to it, it will transform. Its front side is when this enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. Then you may discard a card if you do draw a card. So you get the treasure no matter what, but then if you want to rummage, you get to rummage. Then the back side is a 3-4 rhino creature with trample that when it enters the battlefield you may discard a card if you do search your library for a land or battle card reveal it put in your hand and shuffle basically my thoughts are this card enables a lot of like graveyard based strategies and other formats and gives you a mana back immediately so if you spend the two mana up front it's like it only costs one which is really powerful in formats you know like legacy it's too much mana but in modern you can easily do this on like turn three and go like play this discard an archon play your land for turn cast persist bring back archon right and so not even worrying about the backside i think just up front that's pretty good and then on the backside honestly the i don't really care about searching for battles maybe search up another one of these or whatever who knows but my mind basically is searching up lands in modern and other formats is really strong with things like Boseju, odawara etc so i think this card is going to slot into the jund creativity decks in modern right away and just be a huge role player there the treasure can also be a good part of the uh just creativity combo uh but also enable the persist plans more consistently yeah i think that just as a spell like red green like discard one draw one make a treasure is like maybe not excellent but it's something that you like would play in some of these fringe combo decks the fact that has the additional value of being permanent in play that you can like get value out of if you're doing anything to the board um and the fact that especially in modern specifically like there's a real premium on ways to because of ren and six just convert extra cards in your hand into like other cards right so like turning that extra fetch line you've picked up a bunch of times in your dwarven mind deck into just a different card can be really really valuable and when on top of that you know, Ren also incentivizes you to be able to find things like your Besejus. Um Having a way to... You might have to work a little harder to, to pop this. You said it had five defense? Five defense. Yeah, so it's not something where you could, like, lightning bolt it and then minus your Ren on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have to have to work a little hard to to pop it, likely, if that's your deck. Attack but, your Fable token, baby. Bam, bam. Yeah, I mean, stranger things have happened, you know? And... Like you said, the fact that this can be something that you... It's your discard and gives you a mana back immediately. Like, one of the things we haven't seen in a long time, at least I haven't seen in a long time, is Goryeo's Vengeance. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that a big part of that is that the speed of that deck was around having Faithless Looting. And this isn't literally Faithless Looting, but it is a one-mana way to just bin a card. And it's a virtual one-mana way to just bin a card that isn't, like, as... Um, we'll say mopey as, like, a... What is it? <laughs> the Vampire... The Vampire Neonate? Oh, like yeah. Like, it plays more to a kind of combo-y game than kind of putting, like mopey discard to draw a card effects in your deck right you're getting something back out of it you're getting a mana ahead you're getting the opportunity to make your hand better outside of the times where you're like putting a your reanimator thing in the yard so i agree there's a lot of potential there and i think that in uh formats like pioneer it opens the door for uh the same kind of of gameplay to get a little bit stronger and maybe even other kinds of creativity decks to to have that opportunity to, to shine outside of just blue-red. Yeah, I think Pioneer has a couple four-mana reanimate spells, but they're just color-intensive, and it might be too much with this being red-green to bring back stuff, but, you know, if you get to set up anything in there, like, there are a couple of fatties that aren't the worst to bring back in Pioneer, so it could be kind of cool to see something like that get involved, too, but yeah. I'm excited for this card. I'm curious to hear what your two cards are. Yeah, so my first hopeful is uh, Surge of Salvation, which is... Uh, a single white instant that says you and permits you control gain hexproof till end turn prevent all damage that black and or red sources would deal to creatures you control this turn so i'm gonna let mason mason i'm gonna let you do your favorite thing to me which is i'm gonna let you put me in a box for a moment okay and say that i am hammer guy i i don't like putting you in a box i simply bring up that sometimes you could be put in a box and then i avoid boxing you mm, okay well as hammer guy right now uh this card I'm really really hopeful for as just an additional kind of effect for various metagames where shutting off your ability to be targeted is important as well as just shutting off the ability to get like furied, force of vigored, a single white card that allows you to, that doesn't have to be a piece of counter magic right because that's kind of um, prohibitive like a spell pierce doesn't beat a force of vigor when your opponent just has three lands untapped so uh, a way to protect multiple permanents at once, as well as protecting yourself from something like a thought seize or a grief, um, is just a really, really powerful ability. And so uh, I I'm hopeful this is a card that can kind of work its way into the mix of protection answers in Hammer specifically. Uh, although I'll be kind of interested to see what the decks look like and how important, um, you know, having access to counter magic or, or other blue sideboard cards is compared to maybe having access to this to cover some of those bases but i'm really hopeful that it's just another piece of the toolbox that i get to work with when i'm building my deck yeah i i really like this card a lot i uh and i would never box you but if i, if I maybe i knew this one might get brought up on the show um because yeah i think this card is a great addition to hammer and i i have you know i have not nearly studied the the blunt instrument like you have but i've been known to hammer and i really like the mono white builds compared to everything uh, so having this sort of tool is really interesting to me. My question to you, Abe, is I know some players have been asking, you know, do you, if you were playing Mono White, let's assume that you just don't believe in Spell Pierce or whatever. Um, do you like this better than Blacksmith Skill in the in the aggregate, or do you like Blacksmith Skill better in your main deck as your protection spell? Um, I would say that I personally like Blacksmith Skill just a little bit better because the ability to give something indestructible through like giving your opponent's thing indestructible comes up a lot in the creativity matchup and <laughs> that matchup's still pretty tough 
as well as just um, like the the raw versatility of being able to stop a destroy effect that is not targeted. So like there are times where maybe you're playing against blue white and you're putting a supreme verdict or whatever, um, where it really matters to be able to just give a thing indestructible. Um, but it could also be something where you play a mix, right? Like in the current builds of blue white, you're playing something like four tricks in the main deck and they're kind of diversified between being, you know, some meta blacksmith skills and some meta spell pierces. This could be a thing where you play some number of, of blacksmith skills and some number of surges. And then when your opponent sees both in game one, they're like, I just have player on everything. I have no idea what I'm doing now. Um, and that can be a really powerful effect. I think it just kind of depends on what it is you are trying to make sure you are going to be able to beat. Um, and that's that's really going to dictate it. Like, if you think that you're going to be playing against a lot more Furies and you want to be committing... Like, your deck is built to be putting more on the board at once and you just want to protect multiple things from an effect like that, then Surge of Salvation is what you're going to want to main deck. But if you're still kind of playing the one threat at a time game, you're worried about getting comboed by creativity, uh, you know, then, then skill might be more your speed. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, great card. Can't wait to play with it. It's going to be good, I think, in multiple spots, but just really good in the hammer deck. Uh, what's your other card? My other card is Bloated Processor, which is a two and a black Phyrexian creature that is a 3-2 that has sacrificed another Phyrexian, put a plus one plus one counter on Bloated Processor, and when Bloated Processor dies, Incubate X, where X is its power. And so Incubate, which is the first time I'm mentioning it on this show, uh, is the mechanic in the set where you create an incubator token that has X, uh, or whatever the number for incubate is, in this case it's X, plus one plus one counters on it, and it has the ability to transform this artifact, and it goes from an artifact to being a Phyrexian artifact creature on the other side. So you, you kind of like, in this case, if it's just a 3-2, your opponent shocks it and it dies, you incubate three, so you have a token in play that is, uh, like has three plus one plus one counters on it, and you can pay two to transform it into a 3-3. Three, three. Um, I think that this card is, just at face, a really, really good creature. There's just a lot going for it in terms of how strong incubate tokens are. Um, like, if you're just a deck that's trying to keep pressure on the battlefield, uh, having the option to have your creature be a creature or not a creature for a bit can be pretty valuable in spots where you're maybe worried about a sweeper or, um, you know, just like you want to have the option to... Like, maybe be threatening a haste creature because you'll be able to transform your, your artifact and then attack it immediately once it's been through turn cycle. It's not summoning sick anymore. Um, but you don't necessarily want to be committing to that. There's just a lot of different kinds of pressure you put on people by having these kind of looming uh, creatures. And also the ability to just sacrifice creatures for free, uh, albeit specifically for Xian creatures. There are a few in the set <laughs> that are... Um, kind of notable, but even just making your other incubated tokens into more counters on the processor, um, having that ability to do that is having the ability to do that is just really good. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopeful for this card. I think that if it's ever a part of, like, a sacrifice deck, that's really cool. I think that sacrifice decks are just pretty cool to play with, especially ones where they've really reined it in by saying, like, it has to be Phyrexian, so it's really thematic. But also, I just think that for an incubate card to be successful, um, it kind of has to look like this, where it's something that's appealing enough on the front end and then appealing enough on the back end. And uh, I'm a really big believer in the mechanic. So, yeah, incubate's really interesting, right? Like, 
it, there are a lot of cards like the the wrath i don't know if either of us are talking about that today but there's like a lot of like pretty good cards that incubate and then the incubate tokens like you mentioned sort of dodge most removal for a while like all sorcery based removal and they're already in play in the way they transform as they just flip they don't like exile and come back so that means that they're able to attack right away and i agree with you that they sort of need to have like a baseline good card and then you can sort of you know get the incubate stuff on the house and having this sort of card insulate you around that a little bit is nice and also make it to where this thing sort of makes attacking combat like really confusing for your opponent because it can grow so big and vice versa if they're blocking so i really like this card i think it's good i'm curious to see sort of what people do with it the only uh Phyrexian I can think of that's good is uh, Shieldred, though. So I guess I'll just sack my Shieldred to this. That's the game plan. Yeah, I mean, there's like there's a 2-2 two, two in the set that like gives all your Phyrexians plus almost one in Menace. There's other things to incubate and some... Yeah, there's some good ones. White creatures that we're not going to talk about today. Like, there's one that just... Like, whenever you transform something into a Phyrexian, it gets an additional counter and it incubates when it comes in. There's like some good things that play to the theme. And so this could be something that I actually see going, going all right. But it, you're right. A lot of Phyrexians are not uh, are not the best. Yeah, Progenitor Exarch, I think, is the one that I think of that might work best with this card. That's the one mana, one, two, with X, X in its mana cost. And then for each instance of X you pay, you incubate three that many times. So if you were to spend three mana, you get one incubate token that has three plus one plus one counters. And then it has tap, transform, and incubate token. But basically, you're getting two bodies there for your thing. Uh, and then being a one mana Phyrexian sort of, you know, has the fail rate of sort of growing this and sort of moving around. So uh, th there are a couple other good ones, you know, like Norn's Inquisitor. So there, there are some stuff you can do. Uh, you know, jokes aside on the, you know, Children's the only good one. They, they, they've done some, and there's weirdly a lot of Phyrexians over the last couple sets because they've been invading. And so it's good to sort of keep in mind that creature type. Uh, yeah, weird how many Phyrexians there are around Mason. We should really do something about that. <laughs> nah, we should ignore it. Probably nothing bad's going to happen. Uh, next up on the list, though, is our, uh, these are our favorites. So favorites are the cards that are sort of ones that we really like, we really enjoy, and we want to sort of do something with or we want to talk about for some reason. Uh, this is sort of our spot to have, you know, our sort of darlings. And mine, the first one is Deep Root Wayfinder. This is one to green for a creature, Merfolk Scout 2-3. It has whenever Deep Root Wayfinder deals combat damage to a player or battle, surveil one then you may return a land card from your graveyard to the battlefield tap so abe what i want to do with this is i want to end pioneer i want a field of ruin and demolition field my opponents to death no one not many people play enough basics i just want to blow up all their lands i want to kill their things and i want to protect this and sort of go the distance you have the channel lands from kamigawa that you can put in your graveyard and get in with this thing you know like you owe war or something attack with this bring the land back Lots of just incremental small value. This card is super cool and gives you a little bit of selection with the surveil as well so that it's not just all in on the land stuff. But, you know, letting you sort of get up on lands is really strong. And if there's something you... I have not built my decks this way, but you could try to build something where you kind of, like, have a good amount of removal, have these, and then sort of, like, answer something on turn three, hit, get a land back, and then have sort of your fifth land rolled up on turn four to play something ahead of schedule and maybe start taking over the game. So... Kind of a cool card that has a lot of weird things going on, but basically just want a field of ruin demolition people all day. Yeah, this is a very much like cube, vintage cube Renin 6 at home angle. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, oh yeah, I drafted the strip mine and now I've got a 2 2. So I'm going to play my 2 2 off my strip mine. The next time I'm going to strip mine you and attack and get back the strip mine. And I think that's really sweet. 
I do fear that in most formats, getting a 2-2 into the red zone, like getting Grizzly Bear to connect with your opponent... 2-3, baby. Like, Put some respect on it. 2-3. It's a 2-3? Okay. Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I listen, we all agree that everything I'm saying is ambitious. I'm just saying, put some respect on her name. That's all. Uh, all I'm saying, red in the six at home is a compliment. That's, yeah, that's definitely a compliment. No one's saying you're not. I'm just saying, you know, everyone, even the listeners at home, they get their eyebrows raised. We all know. It's a, little, it's a little bit of a rough, but this is why it's the favorites. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to get involved in any of this demolition fielding or field of ruining, but I do want to get involved in some wastelanding. Some proper, if we're going to do it, I want to do it big, and I want to do it to my friends while I laugh at them, not at a tournament. So you're telling me we want to play this in Legacy with Days? I mean, <laughs> sheesh! <laughs> Cannot wait. I don't ever want to not play something in Legacy with Days. So, so you might you might have your soul. Yeah. Wasteland you days you do this. Bam. Alright. My uh next favorite is Halo Forger. Uh this card's got I think a much more real chance of seeing play uh in competitive formats. This is a one blue black creature rogue fairy. Uh it's a three-one with flying, and it has when Halo Forger enters the battlefield and it pay X. When you do, you may cast target instant or sorcery card with mana value X from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that spell would be put in the graveyard, exiled instead. Um, the big thing to note with this is the uh, suspend cards like Crashing Footfalls, um, Warp World, uh, which isn't, oh, it's like something of tomorrow. Ooh, can't Glimpse. remember. Glimpse of Tomorrow. Yes, Glimpse of Tomorrow. Thank you. Uh, and that, that's where I want to use it is with Glimpse of Tomorrow, where there's the Glimpse of Tomorrow elemental stack in Modern that sort of just spins the wheel and tries to increment a lot of value off Risen Reefs and just strong ETBs and sort of gets you ahead and then does it again with more resources. And this is just a way to kind of spin the wheel again. And, you know, in decks like Living End, it's a way to have your Living Ends get fired back. Um, you know, if they get against a Counterspell deck, right, like this is a body that lets you sort of have a reasonable stat line and sort of try to run the living end back. So same thing with Rhinos. Although Rhinos right now has been doing really well in the teamer build, so I doubt they would move towards a, uh, you know, maybe a Sultai version of that just to have this card. But it does open up some possibilities for four or five color Rhinos with Leyline Binding if Blood Moon moves down the metagame share. So this is a card that has a lot of cool applications, and that's never considering X's 1, X's 2. You know, it is sort of like a, a dinky Snapcaster Mage. But in combination with the cast, uh, with sorry the spin cards, it is so so strong. So I'm sure people will try it to restore balance and stuff like that. But this card, I think, is uh, got a real chance of doing some really powerful and degenerate things. Yeah, it also, it's got the copies five through eight thing going for it, alongside mm -hmm. what is it, arcane uh, proxy. Oh yeah, from Brothers War, the prototype one blue blue card that does a very similar effect. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's just good. It, like if that is something that you're able to be abusing well, then having more ways to abuse it makes it actually feasible, right? Mm -hmm. um, I do think also this being... Whereas, like, the, the Glimpse thing, I might rather play Arcane Proxy just so you can get some sweet, bigger things when you Glimpse into it. I do think that in, like, Living End, where there probably are some amount of games where you want to be able to have redundancy on your Living Ends, um... You also want more black cards to be able to pitch to grief and more blue cards out of your sideboard cards to be able to pitch to force negations and subtleties and such. So the fact that this is both of those does actually have a lot of... Uh, give it a lot more legs to me in that application than uh, you might like think on the surface. It's just like, oh, I get it, it does the thing. But um, it has a lot of intangibles to it that, yeah. that I think are really cool. 
I agree. Also, it's worth noting, like, Arcane Proxy, you have to cast it to get its ability. So this thing, like, it gets sort of weird, oh. too, right? Like, this is just an ETB. So if, if you living ended back, you could, like, flashback, you know, like, if you had, like, a Force of Vigor and you had enough mana or something like that, right? Like, you could do something along those lines as well. Or, like, you know, living end again for some reason, right? I'm not sure why you back-to-back it, but you could, you know? Just small little things. Love to back to back it. I, I guess in the living end mirror, if you're ahead on board and you put this in play, you just don't do anything. They can't wrath you because then you wrath back. I, I think we somehow found a way to make the living end mirror even more convoluted. Perfect. That's just what we needed. The, the mirror wasn't convoluted enough. Well, enough about my my cards. What about you, Abe? What are your two favorites? So my first favorite card is uh, one of the the team ups. The legendary team ups of Zergo and Ojitai, two of my two of my biggest homies, uh, and they're a two blue white red legendary creature orc dragon with flying and haste. And Zergo and Ojitai has hexproof as long as it enters the battlefield this turn. And whenever one or more dragons you control deal combat damage to a player or battle, look at the top three cards of your library, put one in your hand, and the rest in the bottom in any order. And then you may return one of your dragons to its owner's hand. So. This card just, like, not only do I love a good hasty dragon, and not only do I love a good Jeskai card, but also I really just think the ability of this to, like, you know, there's the new um, the new battle, the battle for Tarkir, that is kind of a shock that you can, like, amplify a bit by revealing some dragons, and then on the backside it itself is a dragon. Um, this plays really well with that, in that you can, like, let's say you connect with that, you flip that, you have this other dragon, and you're like, well, I'm going to need a little more value. This game is not actually just about, like, the 4-4s might get answered or whatever. Um, or I, like, need the removal spells to protect myself. You're able to, like, pick that up for additional value or just protect Zergo Nojitai itself from anything where it, like, losing the hexproof because it wouldn't have ended the battlefield that turn anymore um, can be relevant. Like, just kind of has pseudo-dash. So there's a lot I really, really like about the card um, and, and the way it plays in my head to the point where you know i just really really hope that it's a good it's one of my favorites and i, I just love a good a good fast jeskai card if it deals damage and draws cards all at the same time while also being a sick dragon it, it's hard not to like it yeah it's super cool I, I like this card a lot i want to be able to play this thing in you know standard or somewhere else you know maybe team it up with some other invasions uh it's really cool yeah um my other favorite card in the set is invasion of call time which is uh, a three and a red battle with four defense that when it enters the battlefield, you exile all cards from your hand, then draw that many cards. Until the end of your next turn, you may play cards exiled this way. And then the backside of it, if you're to uh, to get all the defense counters off of the battle, um, it is an enchantment that says discard a land card, uh, Pyre of the World Troops, name of the backside, deals two damage to any target. So it's a seismic assault. And then whenever you discard a land card, exile the top card of your library, you may play that card this turn. Holy. Yeah, there's two things I really, really like about this card. There's two and a bonus thing. First of all, the lore of this card, where I'm I'm a lover of call time, but the fact they're like, yo, we've got to burn the world tree to stop the Phyrexians when the world tree is literally what allows their world to be connected is incredibly metal for the set that was billed to us as being the Viking metal set. So I'm just going to say... Kudos for coming full circle on that. The second thing I really like is the 
implementation of the ability on the front side of the battle like that's this is like a new kind of way of doing like a wheel of fortune style effect i think it's really really cool and powerful to see like just a different way of applying that right like you draw cards you don't have cards in your hand and you turn all the cards in your hand into being impulse drawn cards so like you're kind of getting it's like not just a wheel where it's like i'll get rid of my bad cards and then draw new cards or like i'll just i'd want to get this stuff going it's like i'm going to draw cards and cards in my hand so long as i can play all the cards i had in my hand previously and on top of that being in red which means that if you're playing red it's one of the best colors of dealing with battles because it has the most direct damage um the backside of it power of the world tree being a really really powerful effect of seismic assault that also turns those lands into redraws of cards because of the ability when you discard the land uh to, to exile and get a card back is just also a really really potent effect and so i think that all of it together it makes it one of the coolest cards i've seen in the last like few years like I, like you asked me on twitter um the other week what my favorite card of the last like six months was at the time and i answered something kind of boring this is my new favorite card of the last six months like this card is just so sweet i love everything about it and i really hope that it's something that like is that I get to play with because it seems so cool. Yeah, it's really interesting too because you get you get access to all those cards until the next turn, right? Like I didn't mishear you or misread it. Like the Correct. until the end of your next turn, so yeah. you really are just drawing the number of cards in your hand first up front, and then you still have those until, until yeah, the end that, of your next turn. That is really interesting too. Like I mean, you can build your deck to abuse that. That's like a lot of card advantage and the backside just turning all the excess lands you have into you know shocks that then exile your top card give you another thing is so wild i i'm not even sure what to do with this card but it's very exciting it's something i definitely want to build around it is really cool how it all works together yeah yeah it's definitely the card that i'm like most excited about being in the set and it, it's absolutely one of my favorite cards so you know, it works with Deep Root Wayfinder. We can combine our powers. You can... That's true. We can fusion dance. Yeah, you can discard the land to shock the thing so I can get across, and then I'll put the land in play. Ooh. Tell me that isn't a brew. All right, we'll talk about I'm liking it. I'm liking it. All right. On to our hits. So these are cards that we think are, like, we sort of we're putting our money on, on, like, hey, if you want to pick up a card that's going to see play, where we think this is going to be a player in the format, it's going to make a big impact, these are those cards. Uh, my first hit is Invasion of Ikoria. This is X green green for a battle. When Invasion of Ikoria enters the battlefield, search your library and or graveyard for a non-human creature card with mana value X or less and put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle. It has a defense of six, so it's a, a really big defense. But on the backside, you get Zillaroth, the apex of Ikoria, which is a legendary creature dinosaur 8-8 that has reach and it has for each non-human you control... Creatures you control may have that creature assign its combat damage as though it weren't blocked. So really quickly, I've heard some confusion about this backside and like why you would want, why it's worded this way. Some players seem confused by it. Basically, you assign as if you aren't blocked, but if you want to, you could assign damage to your creature in order to kill it, right? It basically, you get to decide if you want to hit them in the face or not. Uh, and that's for all of your non-human creatures, not just Zillaroth. So Abe, the thing that really jumps out to me about this card is that it works really well with Vampire Hex Mage. 
So if you have Vampire Hex Mage in your deck, uh, you can sacrifice that creature to remove all counters from a permanent. So that's going to immediately flip your Invasion of Ikoria. So for four mana, you have an 8-8 with the ability we just talked about, about not being able to be blocked, essentially. That's pretty strong, in my opinion, uh, and something that is like definitely worth thinking about. And the cool part about this card is, is since it searches the deck or the graveyard, you only need one Vampire Hex Mage. So if your deck is a deck that like wants to use something like Finale of Devastation but doesn't have infinite mana as part of its win condition, where you might use Finale also as a win con. Uh, Invasion of Ikoria basically lets you have that toolbox availability to you and still have this one of Vampire Hex Mage sort of backdoor thing for fair games, which your deck might get into more. And most great combo decks can play a good fair game. So this really helps enable that. And between Vampire Hex Mage and Haywire Might and Grist, I think we have like a really good sort of tutor, tutorable creatures that can play a lot of different game plans that also maybe work towards your combo in some way. So I really like Invasion of Ikoria. I'm not sure exactly what deck it's going to slot into now. It might be one in the future, but I would not be surprised if there are decks that use the Invasion package and they're not Invasion of Ikoria decks in the way that some people are thinking of. Yeah, I mean, I think that part of the... Part of the, maybe not issue with Finale of Devastation, but a thing about Finale of Devastation is that it is only, like good at finding the thing and then its payoff is only good if you have a bunch of mana right mm -hmm. so this is kind of a middle ground between that where sure you don't ever get to be like okay i have infinite mana and now my things are huge and you're dead um but there's a lot of ways you can play this in a deck that's maybe more value oriented that cares about this effect right like i could see playing this in a deck that um right only has the hex mage synergy but maybe also wants to have like elvish reclaimer or like a toolbox of other kinds of creatures I, i'm thinking a little bit more in legacy if you're going to be playing mm -hmm. hex mage already to be like maybe you want to just play this in your depths deck and mm -hmm. then have this kind of plan b of you know using some of your other things to check down the the battle and then force ways through for your thespian stage dark depths combo to actually win right like adding a diversity of ways to apply pressure instead of ways to just like oh this is another tutor that doesn't really do anything else is a really really big deal and so um yeah I'm, I'm very interested to see how this plays out and i think that yeah like you were saying even just the modern card pool there's a lot to be excited about and the possibility of it just alongside being okay this is potentially a four mana eight eight reach um because i can go get hex mage but what are the other things i can do with it is it, really powerful too yeah yeah it is uh, a card that i think people are writing off a little too bit too quickly because like you said they aren't sort of seeing the middle ground applications right and then also not like hex mage is a card you're sad to have right like shrinking murktide shrinking ledger shredders killing opposing planeswalkers these are all things that you'll be pretty happy to do so uh yeah something to keep a note also in case you're at home wondering because everyone i've talked about this asks how does it work with urza saga it resets the saga if you use a vampire hex mage on it so don't try and blow up their saga it's not going to work uh Last for me on the hits, and uh, I think people are going to probably know this one if they listen to other shows, but we're going to talk about it here, and that's Rona, Herald of Invasion. This is one in a blue for a legendary creature, Human Wizard, 1-3. Uh, Rona has tap, draw a card, then discard a card. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, untap Rona, Herald of Invasion. So she has another ability, but before going forward, she's a looter, and anytime you cast a legendary spell, she untaps. Then she has five in a Phyrexian Black to transform Rona, activate only as a sorcery. And then we got on the back side, we got Rona, Talarian Obliterator. Uh, this is a legendary creature, Phyrexian Wizard, Trample, whenever a source del deals damage to Rona, Talarian Obliterator, that source's controller exiles a card from their hand at random. 
If it's a land card, you put it onto the battlefield under your control. Otherwise, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. So, first off, most importantly, really, this completes the cycle of Abe, Abe, Spencer, and I each liking a Phyrexian Obliterator card. You know, Spencer really likes the white one. Abe clearly loves the black one. He's always talking about it. Now I have the blue one. Uh, but more importantly, on the front side, you actually have a thing that sort of goes infinite with a lot of stuff, right? Where it gives you a lot of value. So in standard, we've seen the Esper Legends deck already just play literally 28 Legends plus. Uh, this card, you can just play this on two. It has a reasonable stat body, hard for it to die. You can sort of rummage through your deck, try and find your Rafines and stuff like that. So you can loot, find a Rafine, play it, attack with this, trigger your connives, just sort of really move through your deck really quickly. That's really strong. In formats like Pioneer, uh, you have Retraction Helix plus Mox Amber. So that's a way to generate infinite blue mana uh, and draw through your whole deck and find a Thassa's Oracle. In Modern, we have Underworld Breach combo with this card where you actually just want to have some sculpting. So if you have a deck that's more in on the combo, uh, you can have Mox Amber plus this, plus all your other legendary stuff. And that will just allow you to sort of loop through your deck. And then in Legacy, there are so many weird things you could do with this card that's not even worth my time listing them. But basically in every format, this card has some sort of like powerful thing that it enables and just always makes your deck more consistent. And then always has the fail rate of, hey, for five mana and two life or six if you actually have black in your deck, you get this big five, five creature that, you know, if your opponent ever tries to interact with them, if they have any cards in hand, you're gonna get one of those cards. And then if you wanna get really exciting, uh, Abe, you could always build a deck that is about you flipping this and then like pitch casting a fury and hurting it, Abe. And then since you did the damage, exiles a card from your hand at random. So you could have something like Ember Cool the Aeon's Torn or something cool like that. So this card basically says, I'm a combo card, combo with me in some way. And I have a fail safe of being a 5-5 five five. in case that like your opponent has a bunch of graveyard hate or whatever or artifact hate or whatever it is. Don't worry, I turn into a 5-5 five five if the game goes long. So I think this card's just one of the best cards in the set. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say that somehow Ledger Shredder's time has come. Mm. But I feel like this card, in a lot of ways, like does, at least for decks like Breach, does a lot of what Ledger Shredder wanted to be doing of like okay it's gonna like give me a little bit of a plan b it's gonna help me like fix my draw a bit i'm gonna get through like the weird parts of my deck except it's just like better with all parts of it and it's good when you cast your spells so that's like just in modern breach alone the fact that it also enables like some amount of infinite combos out of like involving mox amber out of like jeskai ascendancy decks that could do it with mox amber previously but now um like there's another thing that does it without the ascendancy to then Thassa's Oracle after making Infinite Blue, that's really strong. Um, and even just being like, yeah, just the card it is without the combo implications of, okay, I am a 1-3 Merfolk Looter for 2 mana that also you can invest some mana into to turn into a very potent threat is just a really good card. There is not a lot to say bad about the card because the card is not bad. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't have much really any more to add, but I agree with what you said. You ready to talk about your favorites? Yeah. My favorites also include a one and a blue creature uh, from from the set. But in this case, this is Fairy Mastermind, which is uh, Yuta Takahashi's invitational card from winning uh, Worlds. It is a one and a blue 2-1 flash flying that whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn, you draw a card. And it also has three and a blue each player draws a card. 
I think this card is just really good. There's already a lot of um, traction in Pioneer for the like kind of blue flash spirits or um, even like non spirits decks. And while this doesn't play as well with like rattle chains, this card is a really really strong Punisher effect to have for. In the same way that Ledger Shredder really surprised us by saying like. Well, your opponent is just going to want to cast multiple spells a turn, and that's going to make this card good. This card, your opponents are going to want to draw multiple cards in a turn, and this is going to make that good. In the times where that's not happening, and if your deck is just full of counter magic, paying four mana to have your opponent draw one card and you draw two cards is just getting ahead. So, uh, like, in, in all ways, it really just comes together to be a, like, really powerful card on its own. And I think that just the decks that are interested in, like, 2-1 Flash Flyers uh, love effects like this. Because a lot of the ways that um, that they are looking to play the game play really well into this kind of play pattern of having 4-mana Divination. Um, or, like, I guess, like, being able to draw two cards for 4-mana in the end step of your opponent's turn, especially when you're mostly fighting over sorcery speed things, is just really, really strong. So... Uh, I don't know how you feel about this card. I think it was one of the first cards we saw out of the set because it's the World Championship card, but I think it really is just a very, very strong card. Yeah, it's definitely not weak. I, I think the thing that people probably are going to disrespect is, like, how strong just, like... Especially in Standard, this, like, lines up so well against Rafine and, you know, cards like it, and, like, like you know, lines up really well against Myrona, ironically. haha. But, like, just a lot of spots, like you mentioned, if you're going to want to... Your opponent's going to want to try and draw multiple cards. And the bio clause of, like, if you're just sitting there with a bunch of mana act holding up, right, it's sort of like Spectral Sailor, where it's like, yeah, I can just sit there and then activate this, and, you know, they're going to get a card, but I get a card as well, and I sort of have a much stronger base rate than Sailor. And I think just, like, a blue tempo deck in Pioneer would really love this card. I think it's going to see, like, a good amount of Sailor play. The card is pretty strong. It, it looks, I think... I think much like Fervent Champion, ironically, and, you know, Elite Spell Binder, I think most people thought were strong, but basically I think two of the three last World Champion cards, players have been like, oh, this isn't that strong or whatever. Uh, at first glance, I think this one sort of falls in that camp, but when you play with it, I think it's going to be pretty good. You know, and I did the early access event, so I got to play with this card some, and I played with it in my Rafine deck and against Rafine decks, and it was quite good. And so I can definitely see this card seeing play. Yeah, uh, my other... and probably most boring card of the entire uh, the entire set review is Volcanic Spite. There's one in the red for an instant that deals three damage, target creature, planeswalker, or battle. You may put a card from your hand on the bottom of your library if you do draw a card. And this is just a functional but better reprint of Fire Prophecy from Ikoria, which is deal three to a creature. You may put a card from your hand on the bottom of the library, draw a card. And that card already, because of just how strong the effect of hand smoothing is on top of a like good effect like just reasonable rate two mana deal three damage or something like that was already good enough and this just has the ability to hit more than creatures so i think there's a lot of places already where you know in pioneer creativity this is a card that's going to immediately replace copies of fire prophecy that are already in that deck i think that when it comes to standard this is absolutely going to be a role player as just that rate is very good at answering creatures and the ability to see more of your deck and, you know, mitigate flood or, you know, find lands. Whatever it is, smoothing out your draw with an effect like this is really strong, and removal spells for two mana are just also good, 
And so it's just a lot to love, and it's a card that I know will immediately uh, start showing up in deck lists, you know, as soon as it's legal. Yeah, card's great. You know, sometimes when it comes to these hits, you know, you get the removal spells that we're, like, probably going to hit, but this one we've seen Fire Prophecy hit in Modern, I'm sorry, in Pioneer already, like you mentioned, Strict Upgrade there. And, you know, in Standard, these sort of effects are nice. We've seen, and I think players are really finally starting to appreciate, Abe, just how good rummaging and looting is. Like, over the last year, they basically said, hey, looting and rummaging, it's really fun. Do it a bunch, do it a bunch. And then now we're like, okay, we get it. It's strong, it's strong, it's powerful, we get it. And, you know, it's sort of like, here's another example of them being like, hey, here's your removal spell that sort of smooths your draw out. Play more real games, go. Play more lands in your deck, go. You know, and I think this card does a perfect job of that and just lets players, you know, play big red decks and pioneer with eight of these and they slot in the creativity deck and in standard you just will have more real games and I, I love this card, it's great. Yeah, Fable the Mirror Breaker taught us a lot about ourselves. Mm -hmm. It really did. I think it taught everyone a lot about something, but... You know, whoever you are. Top misplaced ginger the most. Yeah, I honestly kept that man afloat. You know, I don't know what you're gonna do when Blood Tithe Harvester gets you know rotated out of standard. I guess he'll just have it in Pioneer. Uh, <laughs> but that is gonna do it for the pick two set review uh, today, Abe. That was a lot of fun talking to you. Hopefully, the listeners enjoyed us talking about these cards. Mom has some really cool and powerful cards, and we left plenty off the list that we could have very easily talked about. But you know, that's nature of pick two. We only get a couple cards to talk about. Yeah, I mean, there are so many cards in the set. We're already having done, like, quite a few drafts um, over the weekend. I'm like, yo, this card is sick. It's fun to play with. I think it's going to be good. Talking about, uh, you know, constructing implications with people. Um, you know, just trying to find, like, avenues for these cards to be, like, to, to find their place. And there's a lot of possibility. This set is definitely one of the coolest we've seen in a long time. And so, you know, I'm sure... It's one of those ones where it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to see, be seeing a lot of cards from the set in a lot of places for a long time, and I think that's really awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. I can't wait to explore this set. Thank you, listeners, so much for uh, listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week for another episode of Constructed Criticism.